You're listening to True North with Pastor Gary Cottle of Gary Cottle Ministries on today's edition. Listen, I love this quote. We know how to curse the darkness, but we don't know how to light a candle. When are you going to quit cursing the darkness and light a candle? Everybody knows how to complain. Everybody knows how to say what the problem is. Everybody knows who to point blame at. Everybody can get involved in that conversation. But how many of us are going to stop the whining and the complaining and actually try to be a difference in their community? You don't have to look very far to see people complaining. It seems like everywhere you turn, someone is upset about something. Well, in today's edition of True North, Pastor Gary explains that while it's easy to notice and complain, as a follower of God, you're called to do something different. You'll be challenged to stop merely talking about the wrongs you see in the world and start doing something about them. Please be aware, some of today's content might not be suitable for children. Now here's Pastor Gary in the book of Amos chapter 6 as he continues his message, what it means to be at ease in Zion. So when the Bible says be sober, it means not to allow external influences to cause you to fall asleep spiritually. What is in your life? And it don't have to be alcohol. It could be any number of things. What could be in your life causing you to sleep and to slumber spiritually? All right, then it says to be vigilant. The word vigilant means to keep awake, to watch, to be vigilant, to be watchful. To be vigilant is to abstain from internal influences which may cause you to slumber. So God's covering both bases. You've got to make sure that your external influences do not cause you to slumber, and you've got to make sure that your internal influences don't cause you to slumber. We are to abstain from anything which causes us to be sedated as a church. The solution can be found in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 9. The Bible said, you know, the devil as the roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Then verse 9 says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. In other words, quit your whining. You're not alone. You're not the only one going through it. Amen. Well, Brother Gary, you just don't know how hard it is to live for the Lord in these days. I don't. Am I not in the same generation you're in? Are we not here together? Amen. Do we not watch the same Fox News? Amen. I know how hard it is to live the Christian life these days because I'm here with you. Listen, we're all in this together. We've got to just quit. See, one of those internal influences that causes us to slumber is our own personal excuses. We feed ourselves lines that make us feel comfortable with our lack of service to the Lord. And rather than getting right with God, we excuse ourselves. So, well, you know, and then we just, you know, whatever your excuse is, whatever my excuse is, we excuse ourselves when we should be repenting. We go to sleep when we should be waking up. And then when somebody like me gets up and tries to rattle the cage a little bit, rather than admitting that we're wrong, sometimes we get mad at the mailman. Amen? Listen, I'm just trying to deliver the mail this morning. God help us to not be at ease in Zion. So to be at ease in Zion means to be sedated. It means to be disengaged. Let me move on. It also means to be distanced, 
to be at distance, to distance ourselves. What do you mean by that, Brother Gary? I'll explain it to you in Luke chapter 18 and verse 11. The Bible spoke of the Pharisee who stood and prayed thus with himself. And he's over here and, the, and all of the, the little people are over there. He's up here on his own pedestal. He's self-righteous. He's up here. God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are. They're beneath me. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this public. And then he looks over there at a puny, rotten, poor, dirty sinner that ain't as good as him. Raised in self-righteousness. And he has, as a religious personality, distanced himself from those who need God the most. You know what happens to a church that is at ease in Zion and we become disengaged? We distance ourselves from those who need our message the most. We raise ourselves up above others when the Bible says for us to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Amen. The Bible teaches us what we should do when we see somebody down there in the ditch. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 10 and verse 34, it talks about the good Samaritan. He went to the guy that was in the ditch. He said, it bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. That means he jumped down off his high horse. He found the sinner down in the ditch. He crawled down in the ditch with them. That means you got to get down on their level. He picked them up, blood and all, put them on his beast, took them to an inn, paid the bill, and, and told the innkeeper, said, when I return, if he owes anything else, I'm going to pay that too. You know what we've done though as a church when we have become disengaged, when we become at ease in Zion, when we're not reaching our community like the Great Commission tells us to, we have created distance between us and the world. And that's the reason the world can't even connect with us anymore because we have chosen not to connect with them. Somehow we've got this idea and this image of thinking of ourselves too highly and that, that aura, that arrogance, you don't even have to say nothing. People just read it on you. Y'all been around people that are snooty-tooty? Y'all know what I'm talking about? They got their nose up in the air looking down at you. Amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They don't have to say a word just by the way they look at you that you know they're looking down on you. You know what? A lot of sinners look at church folk like that. And now some of them are wrong. Not all church folk are like that. Thank God. Amen. I will defend those of us, those of you who are not like that. And let me tell the world, Listen, honey, you cannot take one bad apple and spoil the whole bushel. Amen? But can I say this, church? We've got to be careful not to portray that image to the world. We've got to be careful to go out of our way to get down in the ditch and not just walking by and say, well, uh, it's just going to cost too much. Don't have time. That's somebody else's job. Maybe the preacher should get down in there and do that. You know, Whatever. You know what I'm saying? We've got to get to a point to where we're willing to get down on people's level. I'm not talking about sin like they sin. I'm talking about meet them where they're at. You see, Jesus, when He found you, you know what He did? He met you where you was at. He didn't commit your sin. He came to where you was so He could pull you up out of the miry clay. You see the difference? He met you where you're at. And as long as we keep building standards for people to meet before we'll t spend time with them, before we'll talk to them, before we'll make them feel welcome at the house of God, we're not going to win anybody. I thank God for a friendly church. Amen. One thing you have got, I will have to say, is friendliness. And I thank God for that. 
I so thank God for that. Because you know the one difference that will make all the difference in the world for a lot of people that visit churches today is when they're welcomed with a smile and with a handshake. When they're made to feel welcomed at the house of God. But you know the number one turn off for visitors is when they come to a church and nobody shakes their hand or nobody feels welcome or if they do shake their hand, they look down on them. They, they just come across as, well, who are you to be here? You know, see what I'm saying? We have got to make sure that we make people know that they're welcomed at the house of God. You got to go overdrive with that. Amen? And we've got to become engaged in people's lives. And I want to say this, don't wait till they come to church to greet them. Go meet them at the house. Go visit them. You got somebody on your heart you're praying for, when was the last time you paid them a visit? When was the last time you went to see them and let them know you was praying for them? When was the last time you called them up and said, God had you on my heart today? I just wanted to let you know that you're not alone because God is interceding on your behalf through my prayers. When is the last time you did that? You see, if we would get engaged again, we would reach out and connect with people and it would make all the difference in the world. I just refuse to sit down and, and get comfortable and be idle. Listen, I know we all got work. I know we got things to do. I know we're all busy. Trust me, I'm probably just as busy as anybody in the house. Amen. I'm not complaining. I'm not whining about it. This is the lot that God gave me, and I thank God for the opportunity to pastor a church, raise five sons, and to work 40-plus hours a week. What a glorious opportunity to have my life filled with purpose, and that's the way I look at it. But listen, honey, we're all busy. Here's what I've learned. Miss Tammy, I've learned that we make time for what we want to make time for. Amen. And if we really had a desire, if we really had a burden to reach this community, we would really take some deliberately active steps and setting aside some time to devote to that. Oh, we uh, have distanced ourselves, but God help us to reconnect. And I, I'm trying to bring us to a close. I want to say one last thing about what it means to be at ease with Zion. It also means that we have rendered ourselves defenseless here they are at mount zion and because they dropped their guard all of a sudden they are susceptible to the attacks of the enemy because they are sleeping they're sleeping at their post a watchman's job is to do what to watch that means there's no time for sleep if you got to sleep get you amen if you're working first shift Stay alert during your shift and wait for the next watchman to claim your post before you go to sleep. Amen? Now listen, in the church, we ain't got time to sleep. We ain't got time to let our guards down. I like what Pastor Scott Boatner said about the 1960s era, the Elvis Presley era. He said, while all the preachers in the country were fussing about Elvis shaking his hips on the Ed Sullivan show, they were taking prayer out of the schools. And the problem wasn't Elvis Presley shaking his hips. The problem was the church was not impacting the culture and being salt and light. And we lost prayer in school. And now Elvis is dead and gone, but still prayer is still refused in schools. You see how the devil can distract you and he can cause you to focus on the wrong things or he can fall you to, to slumber and to sleep on major issues and focus on the minor stuff rather than the major stuff. And that's all because you're at ease in Zion and you have rendered yourself defenseless. 
Because there's no walls, there's no boundaries whenever the watchman is asleep. There's no difference now between the holy and the unclean in our world today. We have dropped our standards, we have gotten loose, we've gotten lazy. We have just said, come one, come all. And listen, I want to say come one, come all if you're here to preach the gospel. But if you're here to get your lifestyle condoned by this book, you're not going to get it from this preacher. Amen? We come to church not to be affirmed in our sin, but to be held accountable to a holy God. Can I say that one more time? We come to church not to be affirmed in our sin, but to be held accountable to a holy God. And I say, come one, come all, if you want to hear the truth. Everybody's welcomed at the house of God. But don't expect me to pacify your sin and tell you that you're going to be okay and that God loves everybody and everybody's going to go to heaven. Because the news is, even though God does love everybody, not everybody's going to heaven. Amen? I still believe that white is white and black is black. The sin is still sin just as much today as it was 2,000 years ago. I believe that what God said is sin yesterday is still sin today. I still believe that all the sexual sins are still sins whether it be adultery, whether it be fornication, whether it be homosexuality or lesbianism, it's still a sin. I believe shacking up is still wrong. I believe that divorce without a biblical means is still sin. Amen. Can I just preach just for a minute this morning? I'm trying to wake this country up and help you to realize that we're at ease in Zion and we have accepted a lot of stuff that God never accepted. The only way we're going to address this is to wake up and to get right with God. Amen. What does it mean to be at ease in Zion? It means that we have rendered ourselves defenseless. So everything flies. We have allowed the wolves or the false prophets to creep in and sedate us with the traditions of men and the doctrines of devils. Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah had a burden. The walls that had crumbled... The Bible said uh, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Let me just stop right there. Can I say to the American church today that the walls of the church are broken down? that the gates are burned with fire, that the remnant that are left of the captivity in the province are in great affliction and great reproach. We've let our guard down. Listen, I know what Jesus said. He said, upon this rock, by the way, the rock wasn't Peter. The rock was the truth of who Jesus was. He said, upon the truth of who I am, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When the Bible tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail, that means the gates of hell shall not resist. That means that the church is not on the defensive, but on the offensive. You get what I'm saying? That means the church is moving forward. 
Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That means the gates of hell shall not stop the church. But let me tell you something. You want to know who can stop the church? The church can. See, while we're sleeping and slumbering, the devil's having a heyday because he don't have to lift one finger to stop us. Gates of hell don't have to do nothing because we've done bought into the lies of society. You hear what I'm talking about this morning? I know the gates of hell won't prevail, but when was the last time you attacked the gates of hell? How can you win against the gates of hell if you're not even pushing against them? You've got to fight the enemy to win against the enemy. You've got to overcome the enemy by marching towards the enemy. But the church has sat down. The church has fallen asleep. The church has, has slumbered, amen. And while the sleeping giant rests, the world is going to hell. Oh, that God would raise us up. Oh, that God would wake us up. He said the Nehemiah, when he heard these words, he sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Listen, the church has got to get disturbed again. The church has got to get worked up. We got to get anxious about it again. We got to get to the point to where it actually bothers us that we're in the ruin in a country that we're in. Who's weeping today? Who's mourning? Who's fasting? Who's praying? Anybody? Who will weep? Who will mourn? Who will fast? Who will pray? Who will wake up? Will anyone? Will anyone show the kind of concern that demands revival in their own heart? Our problem is we are not troubled about our condition. If we were, we would change. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 18 says, When I say unto the wicked, this is God speaking, When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou, that's you and me, givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked of his wicked way, to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. God says, I tell you what, you can sleep if you want to, honey, but when you wake up, you're in for a rude awakening because I'm going to require their blood at your hand. And we say we've done nothing. Well, that's the whole problem, isn't it? You can't blame me of that, preacher. I didn't do anything. Well, that's the whole problem. You didn't do anything. I didn't either. I'm preaching to myself too, honey. Trust me, I'm under conviction like you wouldn't believe right now. Why? Because I preach a truth that's higher than I am. And if I don't, God have mercy on me. So you can't preach on stuff you haven't perfected. Show me that in the Bible. I've got to hold myself accountable to the same truth I hold you accountable for. God help us, I'm saying. God help us to wake up, to get disturbed enough to move to action, to, to love our community, to reach out and help someone and love someone. And God help us to repent when we allow external and internal influences to rock us to sleep and cause us to say it's going to be all right let's just take our ease let's just ride it on out wait till jesus comes seeing we have like an ostrich buried our head in the sand and wait until jesus comes and not doing anything we know how to complain listen i love this quote we know how to curse the darkness but we don't know how to light a candle 
When are you going to quit cursing the darkness and light a candle? Everybody knows how to complain. Everybody knows how to say what the problem is. Everybody knows who to point blame at. Everybody can get involved in that conversation. But how many of us are going to stop the whining and the complaining and actually try to be a difference in their community? Oh, Lord, help us. The solution, Isaiah 58 and verse 1. Cry aloud. Spare not. You know what that means in, in redneck terminology? That means don't hold nothing back. Amen? Don't hold nothing back. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. I don't know about that loud preaching. Well, what are you going to do with Isaiah 58? One? I think the preacher's getting worked up on it yet because God told me to lift up my voice like a trumpet. Take it up with God. Amen? You should do the same thing. We as the people of God should be lifting up our voice like a trumpet. I appreciate that there were hundreds of Planned Parenthoods around the country who have protesters outside of their doors. Probably the biggest Planned Parenthood protest day in their history. You know what happened? I think so far seven videos have been released and I want to educate you for just a moment. If you haven't heard about them, if you haven't watched any of the videos, you know what they're doing to babies? By the way, they're not fetuses. They're babies. You know what they're doing? Some of them are born alive. Did you know there's a law to protect a baby that was intended for abortion that survives the abortion? There's a law to protect that life. And you know what they're guilty of doing? Slaughtering it anyway. You know what they're guilty of doing? Taking scissors, starting right here through the chin and cutting the face open while the baby's still alive so they can harvest the brain and sell it to research. They're chopping babies up and selling them in parks. You know why? There was hundreds and thousands of protesters because this news got out about how hideous, how horrid, and don't give me your leftist bull, that is sin, that is wrong, that is no different than what the Nazis were doing except it's legal. And my point is this, why did it take such an atrocity to wake us up? Can we not agree that we have fallen asleep can we not agree that we just got tired of the fight? Can we not agree that we just chose to take our ease and we just chose to not be confrontational and we just thought, well, that fight is a lost battle, so we'll just go to something else. But something happened. Somebody woke us up. Somebody showed us the facts. Somebody showed us what was really going on. And that's what I'm asking God to do for the Church of America today. God, show us the real condition that we're in. God, show us the real danger that we're in. God, show us how desperate we are in need of revival and wake us up. Cry loud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. We got to get back to it, church. This is a wake-up call. God is calling us to action. Mark this day down because we will be held accountable for how we respond. Put it in your calendar if you have to. 
And use it as a reference point, if no, for no other reason than to remind yourself of your need to be alert, to stay awake, and to be engaged in the fight. Otherwise, we lose our defense. We become disengaged. We become distanced. We become sedated and virtually ineffective in this culture. God, help us as a church to rise and shine. Amen. Today's teaching is coming to an end, but you don't have to stop studying God's Word. Here at True North, we encourage all of our listeners to dive into Scripture regularly on your own. As you do, ask the Holy Spirit to guide your reading and reveal God's truth to you. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary Cottle today for True North. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a new edition. If you'd like to learn more about True North or Pastor Gary, visit GaryCoddle.com. Would you like to plan a visit to worship and study the Bible with Pastor Gary? You can find all the information you need about where he pastors and how you can visit at GaryCoddle.com. If you're not in the area, we do encourage you to find and begin attending a Bible-teaching church near you. Find a family of faith that you can invest in and who will encourage you in your own walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or would like to find out how you can support Gary Cottle Ministries and True North, please reach out to Pastor Gary. He can be reached at contact at garycoddle.com. That's contact at gary, C-A-U-D-I-L-L.com. That's all for today. Join us next time for more right here on True North.